Let's start reading at verse 1, follow together. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there's a danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will get better soon. But they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Don't you love him? When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, right? The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. 
But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you would believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Wow. What an amazing story. Wow. Wow. So in John's gospel, the story we've just read, two sisters, Mary and Martha, we were familiar with them. And they have a brother named Lazarus. They were tight knit. They were very close as siblings. And every time we, we read about them, they're, they're together. They're different people, different personalities and so on. But one thing we know for clear, for sure, that Jesus had an affection, an immense affection for these two sisters and brother. In fact, you know, Jesus, the one you love has died. Lazarus was known as the one whom Jesus loved. Bethany was just about two miles outside of Jerusalem. So often Jesus would stay there. It's believed that he would uh, spend time and, and even in, in their home. So a very close relationship. And one day, this, this young man, he was a young man, Lazarus, you know, he, he's in his prime. There's no indication that there was anything wrong with his health. But one day he is stricken ill. And within a very short period of time, he is pronounced dead. Of course, we know the story that when he's still sick, um, messengers are sent to Jesus to, to bring him to come and heal Lazarus. But he would not go. Jesus would not go. He stayed where he was for two more days. It's an amazing story. And you know, this is certainly not the end of the story. Praise God, right? The, this is not the end of the story. We've just read it. You're very familiar with it. What happens next is Jesus shows up at, the, at this place called Bethany, and he raises Lazarus back to life again. What could have ended definitively in death became a resurrection reality for this family. And as we gather here this day, what we call Easter Sunday, I want you just to pause for a moment. And I want you to just reflect upon what is maybe some of the most difficult challenges that you've ever faced in life. What are some of the greatest trials you've had to face as a person here in this world? Some of you, might be the loss of a loved one. We've already mentioned Alice Beamish passing, gone to be with the Lord. Thank God that she knew him and he knew her. Some of you, you've had loved ones pass. You know, 
recently. There's some of you who are struggling with sickness. You've received a pronouncement that you didn't want to hear. It's not nice. It's not fun by any means. Maybe you have children that are just so far from God, so lost, so messed up. You've seen their life just ravaged by sin, maybe by drugs. Divorce. Betrayal. Marital unfaithfulness. All of these things have the capacity to paralyze us and shut us down so that we're not able to fulfill what God has planned for our lives. I want to tell you this morning, when we read this story, we see the power of hope. We see the centerpiece of our Christian faith, which is the resurrection. The Bible is clear. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. What makes Christianity different than any other religion? It's not just that we try to be good people. It's not just that we do good deeds, but the difference is the stark contrast between what we believe and what any other religion teaches is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he's alive forevermore. Someone said he's the only founder of a religion that attends every meeting. (laughs) Praise God that he is alive. The gospel is the power of God, the power of the resurrection at work. I love this verse, Ephesians 1, 19 through 21, these verses. Paul is praying for you and for me, obviously for this church in his day, that we would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Wow. Paul is praying that we would have a revelation of the resurrection that would be in our heart. In fact, in the Greek, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light and that you would see clearly the power of Jesus Christ that is not just some historical event that was not only relevant to him being raised from the dead, but that same power is at work in you and in me and lives in us because the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you and me. Jesus is no longer in the grave, guys. Because he lives, we also live. Jesus overcame sin and sorrow, sickness and disease, hopelessness and despair, and even hell and death. So not, no matter what we face, we need not be afraid. Jesus has overcome. But what report or whose report will you believe? You see, the sisters Mary and Martha had a choice to make. Would they look at the circumstances of their brother being dead Or would they believe the words of the one who claimed to be the resurrection and life? Jesus challenged them. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now, think about that for a moment because there were many people who subsequent to these words saw this dead man, Lazarus, 
raised back to life again. But Jesus said, not everyone who believe, not everyone who witnessed the miracle will see the glory of God. Because if you continue to read the rest of this chapter, he actually says that there were people who conspired with the high priests and the Pharisees reporting Jesus with the intention that he would be arrested and crucified. The same people, they all witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus. Some people, only those who believed, saw the glory of God in it. Others witnessed the actual physical miracle, but they did not behold the glory of God. Every time we face a crisis in life, we have a choice to make. We have two differing perspectives, right? There's the human perspective, then there's divine perspective. There's the temporal perspective, and then there is the eternal perspective. But the question is, whose report will we believe? Will we believe Lazarus is dead, or will we believe Lazarus is just sleeping, and I go to awaken him? Whose report? Will we believe? See, the resurrection demands that we look at our trials, at our challenges, at life even, differently. We have to view things from heaven's perspective. Man may say, it's useless. Things will never change. You prayed. You can do, you've done all you can. It must not be God's will. So throw in the towel. Give up. But the perspective And the testimony of heaven is that Jesus is the resurrection and life. There's four scriptures I just want to look at quickly this morning just to remind us of the power of this one that we call Jesus. And it's my hope this morning that we would actually move into a place where we would believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that nothing is impossible for Jesus Christ. I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. The amazing thing, you know, after Jesus rose from the dead, when he cried out on the cross, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit, Father. In Matthew's account only, in verses 52 and 53 of chapter 27, it says that as the, the, the veil in the temple was split from top to bottom, there was an earthquake, and we know the earth was darkened for a period of time, and it actually says that there were graves that were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised to life again, and they actually came out of after his resurrection and they went into this holy city and appeared to many wow can you imagine we don't know who that was guys we don't know who that was was it elijah was it elisha was it well it wasn't Elijah. but who was it was it john the baptist right was it abraham well he wasn't somebody say he was buried in hebron i guess But the fact is, we don't know who it was, but many saints were raised from the dead. Jesus is the first fruits of those raised to life. What an amazing thing. Can you, you, come on, this is better than any science fiction movie. I mean, this, this is amazing. Can you, you imagine? And the people seeing these, and wow, what an amazing thing. It doesn't say how long they were alive. It doesn't say anything about it, but they came out of the grave. Maybe they lived many, many years. We don't know. 
There's so much we could speculate about, but we see the power of the resurrection. The one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I love after Jesus' death and his resurrection in Matthew 28, 18, just before he commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to make disciples. I love this, the Passion Translation. Jesus came close to them and said, all the authority of the universe has been given to me. Wow. Heaven and on earth, the Passion Translation says, all the authority of the universe has been given to me. How much authority does Jesus have? How much authority have you given him? Have you ascribed to him? Do you believe he has? The Bible says he has all the authority of the universe. What an amazing testimony. Jesus has all power and all authority. There's nothing that can even compare. No one can stop him. Nothing can can defer what it is that he wants to do in our lives, except this one thing. I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? Believest thou this? I love the King James. Do you believe I am? Not just a God who heals, but I am a God who can raise the dead. Guys, there's something really significant here. When we look at Jesus' response, when he heard the news that his close friend, Lazarus, was sick, he did not come straight away. He delayed for two days. Now, think about this for a moment. This wasn't a stranger. This wasn't someone who was, you know, kind of last in, in, in the line of priorities for Jesus. This was his very close friend. And upon hearing the news that his close friend was sick, I mean, very, very sick, you would think that Jesus' response would be, okay, guys, let's go. We need to set out right now. It's only two miles. He could have been there in a very short period of time. You can walk two miles in 35 minutes. So Jesus could have been there. And, and poor Lazarus on the second day, but the scripture is very clear that he delayed his coming. The Bible says that when Jesus did arrive, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. Why did Jesus delay his coming? Have you ever been in a place in your life where it seems that God is not answering you? That God is delaying his response to you? Well, the question that I believe is really important for us to know today is, why is God sometimes delaying? Right? Mary and Martha felt that Jesus made a critical mistake by not coming when they had, you know, dispatched him or requested him to come. Lord, if you had been here, you know, our brother wouldn't have died. You made a mistake, and it's kind of late now. But it's all right. We know you're busy. But Jesus had not made a mistake. Jesus was very aware of what he was doing. He only did those things he saw his father in heaven doing. And it was the father's plan that Jesus stay put 
in Jerusalem for two more days. And when Jesus finally arrived in Bethany and Lazarus had been dead for four days, rigor mortis had set in. The body had decayed. And it's an interesting thing that up to this point, Jesus had raised two people from the dead. Jared's daughter and the son of the widow from Nain. But in both incidents, they had been raised from the dead within a very close time of the person being deceased, within two days. You see, things had gotten really bad. The body had decayed to a point that it stunk. It was smelly. And Jesus was being intentional in delaying his coming. Why is this? I want you to understand that in that particular time, there was a belief among the Jews that for the first three days after death, the soul floats above the body. And they believed that the soul would actually look for an opportunity to return to the body. But when the soul sees the body and that the appearance of the face has changed, it leaves the body and goes its way. This is what the Jews believed. And this is part of, of, you can find this in history, it's part of the Jerusalem Talmud. And so what we're saying, guys, is that Jesus was saying, doing something which had never been done before. No one had ever been raised back to life again beyond three days. It was impossible, according to the Jews, for someone to be raised back to life again because the spirit had departed and the spirit was no longer in close proximity to the person's body. And therefore, it is impossible for someone to be raised to life again on the fourth day. But Jesus defies the impossible. Jesus comes and he says, I have come to do the will of my Father. I've come to do something that you've never seen before. I've come to show you that I'm not only a healer, but I am a one, I am the person, the Son of God who can raise the dead. And so what looks impossible to man, what man says cannot be, cannot occur, is completely possible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what the doctor has said. It doesn't matter what the letter is that you've received. The truth is that God, through his son Jesus, is not only healer, but he's resurrection life. He's resurrection life. And I love what's happening here because, you know, Jesus was not averse to challenging, to testing, to stretching the faith of his followers. It's amazing in church today. You know, look, I I know personally, if I were like Jesus, I would offend most people here. And you probably would never come back to this church. I'm being honest, guys, because Jesus would say things like you. Oh, you of little faith. Do you not believe? Oh, get behind me, Satan. You're mindful of the things of man and not of God. He said that to Peter. Think about this. The the way Jesus challenged people's faith, what he said to them, don't be afraid. Why do you doubt? Why do you refuse to believe? 
Jesus challenges the faith of his disciples. Let's go. But not yet. Let's wait a couple of days. Lord, we better go and wake him up if he's sleeping. Look, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. It's part of my father's plan not to heal him, but to raise him from the dead. Why? So that my father may be glorified. Yes. And secondly, why? He was endeavoring to stretch the faith of his disciples to bring them into a new realm of dependence, of trust, and of belief in the resurrection power. Up to this point, they had seen Jesus do miracles. They'd seen him heal the sick. They believed he could heal the sick. Mary and Martha believed that. And even raise someone from the dead, maybe after the, the first or the second day. But after four days, I don't think so. No one has ever done this before. And remember, this event is occurring in the final few days of his life. And this is not the greatest miracle that Jesus would perform. The greatest miracle was yet to come because he himself would be raised back to life again. He himself would rise from the dead. And because he lives, we can live as well. A lot of us, like the disciples, like Mary and Martha, we believe that, that God can do anything, right? I mean, for the most part, we believe God can do anything. Matthew nineteen twenty six says, Jesus looked to them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Hallelujah. Do you believe that this morning? But you know, God wants to move us from a place where we believe that he can do all things, that nothing's impossible for him, to a point that we believe that we can do all things because of who we are in him. Because you know, the devil believes that he can do all things. So we read in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus said to them when they began to question him, why couldn't we cast out the demon? Why couldn't we heal the boy? He said, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you, is what the original rendering says. Unfortunately, the modern translation doesn't bring that out. Nothing will be impossible for you, is what the New King James says. Nothing will be impossible for you. Come on now. Nothing is impossible for you. For whom? For you who believe. For you who believe. For you who believe. Come on. He raised a dead man to life on the fourth day. And you think he can't help you make your car payment? You think he can't save your son or daughter or heal your sickness or disease? God has all power. All the power of the universe is mine, Jesus said. Go, therefore. In other words, I delegate this power to you. But do you believe? Do you trust? Some of us, honestly, need to get back to the point and place in our faith where we trust that God is the God of resurrection. Not just, well, if it, this 
hadn't happened. Maybe I might have had a chance. Perhaps I could have overcome this. But, but you know, now it's, it's beyond the point of no return. Now it's beyond the point of, of healing, of, of salvation. You know, you, you don't know my, my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my kids. You don't know my situation or my circumstance. If you, you had known, you, you wouldn't have any hope either. Jesus says, don't look at it that way. He's not dead. He's only sleeping. You might be in a point where you say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I want to encourage you today that he's the God of the resurrection, that everything is possible if you will believe in him today. And as Jesus went forth and he called Lazarus out of the tomb, he's able to call forth those things in your life that seem dead and buried so that they can come out of the tomb. The promises of God can be resurrected in your life. Nothing is impossible for God. We can share testimony after testimony after testimony. You guys have journeyed with us with our son, Tyler. You've seen what he was like, how messed up he was. And now we were just with him in Singapore. He's on fire for God. He's in the worship team. He is like seriously one of the most liked kids in the school. And they say, he's such a good Christian. He's so on fire. Pastor after pastor was telling us this as we were at the church. You know, he's he's such a good Christian. And, you know, he we were there, and there were so many times that we could have met with him. And he says, Dad, Mom, I can't meet with you. I've got to go to the prayer meeting. I've got to go to a prayer meeting. I can't miss prayer meeting. I've got to be in prayer. Guys, we travailed. We travailed for years, over six years. We travailed, we fasted, we prayed, we gave up at times. We, 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 were, we struggled with anger and hopelessness. I'm being honest. I thought about quitting ministry so many times. But God, but God, God. I would have fainted had I not believed I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Not just there now. I would have fainted. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there's nothing different about your circumstance or your situation. He is the resurrection. He has the power to turn it around. But do you believe this morning? Do you believe? Have you given up? Have you backed away? Have you said, no, it's not possible any longer? And I'm not saying that we understand all things. And I realize there are people that pray and it doesn't seem that their prayer is answered. And I know there is a better resurrection to come. I recognize all of that. But I'm telling you that he is the God who can heal. He's the God who can deliver. He's the God who can save and transform marriages, relationships, no matter what it is that you're going through. God is able. He's able. Some of us have limited him, sometimes unwittingly. It says in Psalm 78, they limited the Holy One of Israel. And while... We look at God and we say, yes, I know God can do this or I can do that, but I don't think it'll ever be the same. 
Some of you said, I, I, I think I've, I've aborted or perhaps thwarted God's destiny and calling for my life because I've done this or I've done that. And I want to tell you that, that, no, no, that's not the truth. The truth is that God is still with you. God is still able to restore you. If you will engage in the process, if you will go the journey on the distance with him and you will journey with him, he is still the one who raises the dead. He's still the God who raises the dead. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We sometimes move into a place where we have a death sentence. A death sentence. You know, definitively, it may look like death. But the reality is it's resurrection. You can't have resurrection without death. It's impossible. And I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 10. He's speaking of how we sometimes have finite faith. We have faith that, you know, has limitations or conditions. You know, we, we believe up to here. But then there's this kind of line and we just like, well, God can't do anything beyond that line. Well, Paul speaks about that. And this is what he says. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. Have you ever been in that place? You're like, I don't know if I can go through this. I don't know if I can live through this. I don't know if I can take it any longer, if I can stand anymore. And he says... In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, come on now, listen to this. As a result of this death sentence, we stopped relying on ourselves. That's the key right there. And we learned to rely only on God who raises what? The dead. On God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. There we go. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. Wow. Here's what he's saying. He said, I've been through it. I've been in situations. It looked like there's no way out. There's no hope. God rescued me. God's going to rescue me again. He's going to rescue me now. He's going to rescue me in the future. He's not left me. He's not going to forsake me. He's promised that. And I believe. And so I'm going to stop relying on myself so I can begin to rely completely 100% in God. And that's the key right there. When we shift into the place of active faith, it's not sitting back passively saying, I'm trusting God. That's not faith. But it's engaging in declaring things, in decreeing things. Lazarus would not have come out of the tomb had not Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. In fact, Jesus prayed, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. But the only reason I'm praying this is for the sake of those here who don't believe. 
So it wasn't even, it wasn't just a prayer. There was a declaration. There was a decreeing. My life is going to change. Things are going to be different. I'm going to have my breakthrough. I'm going to be healed. I am going to live. My situation is going to turn around. No matter what that person has done to me, God still has a plan for my life. My best days are still ahead of me. He's not left me and he's going to cause me to prosper and to move forward and to succeed in every way, no matter what it is that man has tried to do to shut me down. And as we begin to declare that and we begin to decree that and we begin to speak that over our situation, because so many of us are speaking to God about how big our mountain is and you've heard it and I know it's cliche, but we do need to begin to speak to our mountain about how big our God is. And that's the truth. And when Jesus says, come out forth, when Jesus says, Lazarus live, that's when things changed. Partner with his presence. Partner with the word.